Welcome to Birkbeck Voices, a new podcast about the latest research, events and study opportunities at Birkbeck, University of London. I'm Guy Collander and each month I'll be talking to staff, students and alumni about their news and experiences of Birkbeck. Firstly, we're going to focus on crime, order and justice, as they were discussed extensively during Law on Trial, a week of events in June, organised by Birkbeck's School of Law. I'm joined by the school's Professor Mike Huff, one of the organisers of the week and co-director of Birkbeck's Institute for Criminal Policy Research. Mike, could you begin by describing the theme for this year's Law on Trial? Well, we thought a useful overarching theme would be whether there are tensions between fairness and effectiveness in justice. And when we began to put the programme together, it was clear that the riots of last August were going to be the main focus of the week. They weren't the sole focus, we, we, we had other events, but there were three sessions that focused on the riots, and uh, I think they proved to be very interesting. And why are these subjects of increasing importance today? Well, there's growing scepticism and mistrust, I think, about the criminal justice system. We, we can't, in difficult economic times, take for granted the legitimacy of the police and the courts, and we need to focus very clearly on why things go wrong when they go wrong, and that's obviously what happened last year. And as part of the week, you chaired a session about last summer's riots based on the Reading the Riots research collaboration. Could you tell us more about this? I chaired a session where Professor Tim Newman at LSE presented his uh, findings on Reading the Riots. Uh, it, it was a, an excellent lecture, really, because he, he got at the heart of the motivations of rioters. His research involved in-depth interviews with uh, around 270 people who had actually taken part. And you've got a very good picture of the sorts of pressures that impelled them towards rioting, such as their anger at the police, their frustration at fat-cat bankers, but also coming from background of poverty and, uh, and disadvantage, the sheer fun, we have to admit there was sheer fun in the rioting, which is obviously a worrying phenomenon. And a collaboration between academics and The Guardian, The Guardian published the... The, the, the research findings. itself w was funded by the Joseph Rowntree Foundation and the Soros Open Society, uh, and it was a collaboration between The Guardian and the academics at LSE, and actually rather a creative partnership, I think. Professor Tim Newburn spoke about a variety of factors responsible for the riots, underlying conditions and also trigger events. Yes, that's right. Um, there were preconditions such, such as uh, the relative poverty of the people in many of the areas where riots took place, the uh, disaffection from the police, the hostility towards the police was really quite an important factor, and, and also a sense that there were segments of society who were getting away with things, who were rich beyond their deserts. Um, and then there were triggers, and in this case the trigger was the shooting of Mark Duggan, which, to be honest, was not handled well at all by the police. And the second part of Reading the Riots has just been published in The Guardian. That's based on interviews with police officers, defence lawyers and victims. And Keir Starmer QC, the Director of Public Prosecutions, said that rapid prosecutions were more important than long sentences in preventing reoffending. How do you think the criminal justice system responded to the riots? Well, I agree with Keir Starmer that the rapid response was important and that was a, the right thing to do. 
the weight of sentencing is very difficult to justify. They were draconian sentences passed on often very young people uh, who acted impulsively, were caught up in the spur of the moment. Uh, I think the, the thing to ask is, is whether the sentences build a sense of legitimacy in the courts or whether actually they're seen by the absolutely central audiences, which are young people, as totally unfair. Um, the thing to ask is, does that build a perception of legitimacy or destroy trust, trust in justice? And those sentences for acts such as stealing goods were much more severe than they would have been at any other time for a similar offence? They were very clearly very much more severe than the average sentence for the offence as charged. And this area very much ties in with your current research at the Institute for Criminal Policy Research regarding public trust in justice. Could you tell us about your survey yes, in we, that we, area? We and colleagues at LSE, Oxford and elsewhere, uh, bid for space in a very big European social survey which is carried out uh, intermittently across 26, 27, 28 countries. Um, and we were given space to ask respondents about their trust in justice, their sense of the legitimacy of institutions of justice, and factors that built or destroyed their sense of legitimacy. We've, we've been able to uh, get interview material from around 50,000 people in 26 countries, and we're analysing the results now. And what we're finding is, is that the quality of contact, uh, the fairness with which the police and courts treat people is a critical factor for building trust in justice. It's more important than being effective. And the, the, the lessons that are coming out of this research is that building public trust through decent and fair treatment and having an eye to the legitimacy of the police and the courts as seen by the public is absolutely critical for justice policy. So justice has to be done, but also has to be seen to be done. It, it has to be seen to be done, it has to be felt to be fair. Fairness is something that politicians have tended to lose sight of over the last 15 years, focusing on effective crackdowns on crime. And they've, they've rather forgotten that the justice system is a justice system, that really, if it's to work, it needs to be judged against criteria of fairness. Professor Mike Huff speaking to me earlier. As well as the riots and the effectiveness and fairness of the criminal justice system, civil liberties were also discussed during Law on Trial. I spoke to Professor Bill Bowring from Birkbeck School of Law to find out more. As part of Law on Trial, you chaired a session on protesting. And during these times of austerity, we are seeing more and more protesters take to the streets to demonstrate against a range of issues from rising tuition fees through to civil service pensions and so on. Do you think civil uh, liberties of protesters are increasingly under threat? Yes, I do. And that, there's a variety of legislation which is doing that. Uh, something which we were focusing on last week was the police tactic of cattling, uh, which is not unique to this country. It's being used in Germany and other countries as well. Uh, but increasingly it's the way that the police like to deal with uh, public order and there's been a judgment in the European Court of Human Rights which says that the police are entitled to do it and that cattling does not uh, violate human rights. So uh, one of the speakers 
last week was Cat Craig of Christian Khan Solicitors, who's represented a lot of uh, people in relation to public order and in particular kettling. The audience, which was made up of um, activists as well as students, all found it extremely good. And I think the questions we had showed that they found it useful. And your research interests include <coughs> human rights and international law. Yes. What parallels or differences can you draw between what happened, what's happening in the UK and what's happening overseas, particularly in, in Russia where you work? Well, I think what, what's absolutely fascinating in Russia is that up until um, six months ago or so, uh, protests were uh, protests by rather small groups of people who were always roughed up and arrested uh, by the police and quite often in, in prison for short periods of time. What we've been seeing now is very large numbers of young middle-class people. These are people in their 20s and 30s with higher education and good jobs. The most recent protests took place again with enormous numbers. And th these are people who are simply fed up with being taken for idiots by the um, regime. And you've mentioned during the event that Birkbeck uh, prides itself on its progressive holistic approach to law and critical challenging of law and, and legal instruments. Would you like to expand on that and, and the, the uniqueness of, of Birkbeck as a school of law? Well, of course, Birkbeck itself, in my view, is the original polytechnic and it started off in the 19th century as a mechanics institution. And what um, Birkbeck set, it up, set itself up to do was to educate working people in the evenings and that's what it's continued to do. The law school is one of the newest bits of Birkbeck, so this year we're celebrating our 20th anniversary. The uh, study of law is genuinely interdisciplinary. We have quite a few people who do law and literature, for example, and um, we simply don't take law for granted. We problematise it, we interrogate it at every step. Professor Bill Bowring speaking about law on trial. Business, never far from the headlines in these uncertain economic times, also received much attention last month. I spoke to Dr Andreas Liefuger, one of the organisers of Birkbeck's Business Week, a series of events about topical subjects including capitalism, commodities and entrepreneurship. It's a very, very nice way of us to kind of set out what it is that we actually contribute. I think we take the role of Birkbeck as a public intellectual incredibly seriously. And we, we designed very carefully the events to kind of make it appeal to a very wide audience. And to me, seeing everybody uh, coming together like that, discussing something as exciting as how does our research impact, like this is what Andrew Pettigrew was talking about, or does it make sense to talk about good versus bad capitalism, which is what Will Hutton talked about. I think this is all very exciting. And very popular events. There was a real buzz about the week. Absolutely. We had over a thousand people marching through the Arc Law Management Centre um, during that week. Uh, delighted. Absolutely delighted. And leading economist Will Hutton, principal of Hartford College, Oxford, and chair of the big innovation centre, spoke during the week about the rise of bad capitalism, which he characterised as more lending underpinned by less capital, and how this can be replaced by good capitalism based upon fairness and proportionality. What did you think of his ideas? To me, good and bad are of quite categorical sort of positions. Um, I would sort of probably see that there's interactions in in, in each in, of, of of these of these sort of of these stances. Um, I think Will um, made a very made some incredibly good points. Um, 
do I see the world as good versus bad? Not really. And certainly raised the debate, and that was something that we saw afterwards with uh, everyone discussing the, the issues that he'd, he'd spoken but, about. You see, Guy, Birkbeck is about debate. We are not here to give easy answers. We are here to ask complex questions and really critically and evaluatively consider what the range of answers um, are or could be or what they would look like and what they might contain. But to say something that is, 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 is sort of either good or bad, in my view, is, is, is slightly uh, beside the point. And, and I think that's what will brought as, as a conclusion somewhere saying it's not really about glib answers it's about engaging and looking at the quality um, of the conversation that can be had and trying to to move it I think somewhat from from where it's at now which is probably quite a staid place and another speaker during the week Professor Andrew Pettigrew from the side business school at Oxford University called for stronger links between academia and business how are you advancing this agenda at Birkbeck School of Business Economics and Informatics um, Andrew Pettigrew's talk was 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 very welcome. I think for us, I think he he addressed uh, many different uh, segments of of, um, of the audience. Uh, there were many practitioners there, but there are also this new breed, I think, of of uh, of, of person who who really sits at the cusp between um, sort of practice and the academic, and they kind of feel they want to practice in organisations, but also want to contribute to a body of knowledge. And more and more, I think academics, particularly with things like the impact agenda, um, want to be relevant um, to to have the an effect on policy. Absolutely, to kind of uh, to affect policy and to to affect the way people do things in in organisations. And it's important to mention Birkbeck's evening and flexible model of higher education. And Andreas, you are a champion of part-time study, having studied here at Birkbeck and having your changed career as a result. Could you tell us briefly about how you combined work and study and your experiences as an adult student? Birkbeck is probably one of the most flexible places that you can study uh, world-class um, sort of education at the University of, of, of London. So it's, 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 it's an amazing place. It's got an amazing rep, uh, reputation, uh, both academically and I think there is, there is definitely a sense that if you have a Birkbeck degree, employers know that you actually have been... Uh, studying while you are working. People know, uh, therefore, that you are prepared to go that extra mile, that you are actually foregoing uh, social activity to increase your knowledge, to improve your skills and all of that. And I think that's really, really important. Um, I studied here, did my MSc in Occupational Psychology, um, had an amazing time. I think the people were absolutely great. Uh, the fact that they researched uh, and that we, you know, everybody still researches and teaches, I think, is really, really important. Um, it, it adds a level of credibility to it. Um, you get it from the horse's mouth. Um, you get the content uh, of the research before they're published in the journals. There's something very, very exclusive um, about that uh, that way. But you have to be prepared to put in the work it doesn't come automatically. Just coming and sitting here from 6 o'clock till 9 o'clock in the evening will not be enough. So there is other preparation work around it. But there is a lot of support for that. Um, People um, here are aware that some of our students haven't really been to university uh, for a long time if they do postgraduate or they they may... may, uh, 
uh, you know, be in their 40s or 50s and they really, really want to, to, to learn or do finally do that degree because their life has changed and they can do it. You know, we have teams of people here who can really help them from how do you write an essay through to how to use a computer through to whatever. You know, there is, you know we, we've really thought quite carefully about what the barriers are uh, to entering sort of higher education and bit by bit we've ticked them off and made sure that there's support for anyone who's really genuinely uh, interested. Birkbeck is about democratizing knowledge and I think we in the school we do our very best to ensure that we can help people access as George Birkbeck put it the blessings of knowledge. And first of all you started off as a chef then came to university uh, in your mid-twenties and now in academics, that's quite a quite a journey. I think there's something about it never being too late to to change the direction of of of, of your career. For example, I I started out thinking I was going to um, work with horses professionally. I was doing show jumping. I was doing all those kind of things. I wasn't particularly interested in in in, in school um, at all when when I was sort of uh, in my teens and. Then I I sort of had an opportunity to to run a restaurant and then I, I was sort of really caught up in sort of being an entrepreneur and then when I came to London, being a chef was and this is about twenty years ago, so being a chef uh, in from the continent in London at the time was very very desirable because this is a kind of big food revolution going on in 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 London so I had a great time and it was basically through during that time. Um, that I, I fortunately had had very enlightened um, employers who felt totally that if I wanted to go and do a degree that that's in, indeed what, what I should do so they they helped me being flexible with my with my timetable um, it's hard work uh, absolutely but I think it does show that if you really do want to uh, make a transition from a kind of a show jumper through to chef through to organizational psychologist Birkbeck is the place to help you do that and you must have seen many students over the years at Birkbeck um, perform similar changes in their absolutely career trajectory. that's that's really I think the the core and that's really why I think I decided to to uh, to work here um, it is the the caliber of the students who who come through they kind of uh, um, they keep you on your toes. They keep you fresh. They, you know, you, you can. The idea that somehow you would give the same lecture that you did last year is 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 sort of a, you know, completely completely fantasy because you know you kind of think, I need to perform for these guys and uh, they give something back and it's an amazing, amazing place actually to to work and uh, the students are, are a very very big part of that. Berkeley is a very special place. Andreas Liefuger talking about his experiences both as a member of staff and as a student. The student theme now continues with the thoughts of other alumni recorded at Mansion House in the City of London at a recent event for Birkbeck's alumni, supporters and stakeholders. The evening focused on Birkbeck's activities in Stratford, East London, where a new campus to open next autumn is being built in collaboration with the University of East London. First we'll hear from Sarah Weir about her fascinating journey from banking to the arts via Birkbeck. She is now the CEO of The Legacy List, a charity supporting the long-term social, cultural and physical regeneration of the Olympic Park and its surroundings. So I left school at 16 
And uh, I went off into the city and I started as a gopher in a Lloyd's broking firm and made my way up from opening the post to making the tea to 15 years later being the managing director, actually being the first female managing director in Lloyd's. And I got there and then thought, is that it? Gosh, you know, now I'm at the top, that's sort of it. But it really wasn't it. I wasn't feeling fulfilled in any possible way. And in a moment of inspiration, a, uh, a, a, an educational psychologist said to me they thought I was bored and I should use my brain. And so I applied, and this is before the days of Google and one click of a button. I had to go and find books and read up and find universities, and I found Birkbeck. And I did my degree at Birkbeck uh, with great trepidation, because I was 32 then, and I hadn't studied since I was 16. I was terrified. Uh, anyway, I got through it. It was very hard work being the MD during the day and studying in the evening. Uh, and getting my degree was um, the, the, the proudest moment of my life, actually probably equaled by uh, getting an OBE, which I did this, this year. And I think really that the OBE was for services to the arts, and I think it really came out of that going to Birkbeck and, and understanding more about myself and realizing that actually maybe I did have a brain and maybe I could do something and maybe I could uh, provide, help provide other opportunities for other people who had similar experiences. So on I went, and I remade my career in the arts, and I've been supporting Birkbeck since then. Sarah Weir continued by describing the activities of the Legacy List. A lot of the work we're doing through the Legacy List is already working with young people. All the arts and culture work I did in the park is permanent. There are over 40 commissions uh, and there are artists commissioned on roads and bridges and underpasses and security fences. So they'll be there forever, you know, at least 25 years and I think some of them probably for 100. So for me it was thinking about, you know, how you can have that cultural legacy of something which integrates aesthetics and beauty and design and engineering all in the same place. And the legacy list builds on that. Sarah Weir then spoke about what Birkbeck means to her. Birkbeck has given me, uh, I think, really everything that I have now. I'm very sort of lucky in my life, but it comes from moments when somebody said, why don't you go to university? And you take that terrifying jump uh, and then you go in and you do it. Sarah Weir finished by reflecting on the educational impact of Birkbeck's activities in Stratford. Uh, so to, to finish, I um, decided last year that when I uh, am no longer on this, uh, on this earth that any money that I had I would uh, pass on to Birkbeck because I felt that that was probably the best way to uh, give a gift to people that you're not, not going to know and often people in your life that help you aren't people that you know actually. They may just spot you. Uh, to ensure that young people for generations to come can have those opportunities in a part of London which will continue to develop over the next 25 years. It's not just the Olympic Park, it will continue to develop and I think be an extraordinarily amazing part of London to be in and Birkbeck will be uh, a key part of that. Former student Kirsten Gourlay then spoke about her experiences and how she fulfilled her dream by studying for a certificate of higher education at Birkbeck in Stratford. I was a Birkbeck student at Stratford. Um, prior to going to Birkbeck, I actually had a degree and something that Professor Latchman had said about students who had prior degrees not being able to get funding um, was very important to me. Um, I wasn't able to use my degree. I was training as a teacher, but my health was so bad that I was seen as unfit to be a teacher medically, so my degree was, to all intents and purposes, 
a waste. My self-esteem was quite low. I was feeling quite bad about myself, and I found myself at the UEL campus um, being told to speak to somebody from Birkbeck about the possibility of getting some form of qualification using my brain. And I met with Simon Beach, and he was brilliant. He told me about the Birkbeck Stratford Bursary Scheme. And this particular scheme was so important because it meant that it gave me a second chance. It gave me a chance to use my brain, to reskill myself, so that even though I felt disabled, I could suddenly become re-enabled. And it was a struggle, and it wasn't easy, but I signed up for the certificate in social policy and the care sector. And I've always been interested in sociology and social policy and stuff like that, so this was the perfect course for me. And it was tough, but the disability team were amazing. There was Steve Short based at Stratford, there was Mark Pym based at the main Birkbeck um, Mallet Street office, and between the two of them, they got into place additional support and additional help for me. They gave my husband, who's here tonight, the opportunity to go to the library for me. They gave him access to be able to come to lectures for me. When I was too ill to attend, they allowed him to attend in my stead and record the lectures. They, provided me, they, they enabled me to get the disabled student allowance that provided me with equipment and support so that I was able to actually fulfill my dream. And after two really difficult years of studying, it was very difficult, different studying when I was younger to studying now I was in my late 30s. And it took it out of me with my health, but I really studied hard. And I was so proud the day that I got my results through the post telling me that I'd actually achieved a distinction, which was just incredible. It was even more than I thought I could have achieved. But it proved to me that it doesn't matter how much life can change you. You know, one minute I'm healthy, one minute I'm not. One minute I'm enabled, the next minute I'm disabled. But yet, Bert, Bert gave me the chance to re-enable myself, to build myself back up and to believe in myself. And that is a really, really important thing to me. And I couldn't have done it without all the help and support. Kirsten Gawley continued by talking about her dissertation and how her newfound confidence and skills are helping her to participate in local politics. You know, my dissertation, I did it on the Welfare Reform Act. I went and I spoke on the um, Channel 4 debate on the street riots because for some reason they thought I'd be good at speaking and I got invited to go along. And Hilary Benn asked to see it and he wrote back and said he thought it was very good so I thought not many students get their dissertations into the hands of the politicians but it was a very good thing and um, since then just as a legacy because I live in Leighton I'm a social tenant and I'm not able to work and not able to work full-time without a lot of support like I did with my studying and I'm now a member of the resident scrutiny panel for the CBHA Housing Association, Community Based Housing Association, who are my landlords. 
And this is a new initiative by the government to get residents to take more control over things now they're getting rid of quangos. And I've been able to put into full everyday practice all the skills that I learned at Birkbeck. The social policy, we're scrutinising policy. Presentations to the board, we did presentations at Birkbeck. Reports that we're now having to write, reports I had to write. And I've been able to coach the other people on the panel where they needed help. And that is an actual living legacy. Kirsten Gourlay speaking at Mansion House. And those inspiring words bring us to the end of this first Birkbeck Voices podcast. For more information about Birkbeck's courses, news and events, visit www.bbk.ac.uk. Thank you for listening.